If they take an ownership interest in these clients and truly care about what the client cares about, that is partner potential. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Oldman, your host for this show and a CPA myself. Well, today we have a special show. It's something I haven't done for quite a while. If you go back in the archives, you can find a few shows where we had a panel of guests instead of just one, and we discussed a very specific topic, and that's what we're going to do today. For this episode that I'm titling How to Advance to Partner, we have five very distinguished partners from CPA firms in five different cities. The firms range in size as well, so you're going to get a tremendous amount of value out of this episode. I asked them to come on the show because I wanted to get some insight on how you, the listeners that may be interested in eventually becoming a partner at a CPA firm, or feel like they may be interested at some point later on, can advance your own career to that point, either in the short term or in the long term. And I have to admit, I definitely wasn't disappointed. These five guests really opened up about their own progression to partner and how it may have differed from what they expected when they were younger to what it takes to become a partner and even down to who would not enjoy being a partner in an accounting firm. There really is a lot of practical truth in this episode, if you will. It's definitely going to be one of the more timeless resources we've put out and it's all due to how transparent these five guests were in their answers. Before we get started, though, I should at least mention who we have for this program. Our five partner guests were Joey Tackett, a partner with Deloitte, the big four firm, Sheila Enriquez, the managing partner for the regional firm Briggs & Veselka, which is headquartered in Houston, Texas, Jocelyn Hill, a partner with Williams Adley, which is a niche firm in the Washington, D.C. area. Tim Pike, a partner with Howard, which is a very well-respected local firm there in Dallas, Texas. And rounding it out, Kim Ford, the managing partner with the K4 Group, which is a boutique firm here in my own hometown, San Antonio. Well, like I mentioned, these firms range in size greatly from the big four to regional to local firms. So overall, we get some great perspective from these guests. And afterwards, if you do like this episode, by the way, please remember to leave us a review in your podcast app. I really appreciate all the reviews we get. We've been getting a lot these days, and I so appreciate that you take the time to do that. Thank you so much. Well, let's go ahead and get started. For this first set, I ask each guest to introduce themselves and then tell us if becoming a partner was always an aspiration for them or if it was something that developed later. Here's each guest introducing themselves and then giving us some insights into their early aspirations. First, we have Tim Pike. So tell us about yourself, your name, what firm you're with, how long you've been there, and when did you become a partner? I'm Tim Pike from Howard here in Dallas. I have been here for, goodness, about 16 years. I came here with a a little bit of experience, and I've been a partner now for about five years. Was becoming a partner always a goal for you? And if so, why? Or if not, when did you become interested in that level of responsibility? For certain, being a partner did not crossed my mind when I first entered the industry. When I first started, I was just doing audit just to try it out. I didn't like my audit class. I didn't like my tax class. I have a very much practical application brain and 
thought that I couldn't figure out how I was going to translate that into what I enjoyed in school. And it was outside of my realm of considerations. And so really when I guess I crossed that bridge was when I realized that what I enjoyed in school really was what being a partner was. You think of the technical items because that's what you spend your time in school focusing on. That's how you get your CPA license. The other classes, the strategic side of things, the marketing, the whole running a business, those were the classes I enjoyed most. And I can't tell you exactly where I crossed that bridge, but it was sometime in the four to five years of experience range when I actually started managing, developing people, developing work, and started realizing that the partners were running a business and it it wasn't solely about the technical. Maybe they spend a little time on the technical side, and of course, they've become so technically proficient, their efficiency was substantially higher. But somewhere in that almost a audit manager time frame, I crossed that bridge into knowing that it was something for me. Next came Sheila Enriquez. Tell us about yourself, your name, what firm you're with, how long you've been there, and when did you become a partner? My name is Sheila Enriquez. I am the managing partner and CEO of Briggs & Veselka Company. We are the largest independent firm in Houston and the third largest in Texas. So a full-service CPA firm with offices in Houston, Austin, the Woodlands, and El Campo, Texas. So I started with the firm in February 2007. So I'm approaching my 14th year anniversary and excited to actually celebrate it. It's been a wonderful ride. And I was admitted to the partnership on October 1, 2010. So just celebrated my 10-year anniversary. Was becoming a partner always a goal for you? And if so, why? But if not, when did you become interested in that level of responsibility? Looking back in my career, I can't say that being a partner was my ultimate goal simply because I've had a bit of an interesting career. I didn't start the traditional way in the sense that I didn't start in a public accounting firm. So I think you and I actually have talked about this before about my story. So I came to the United States as a student. And because of that, I was fairly limited in terms of what jobs I can take post-graduation. So I needed to find a sponsor firm that will actually take a chance on me and sponsor me for my working visa. And that happened to be a consulting firm, not a CPA firm. So Brenner, Matana, and Tortolani is a firm based in New York City, in New York, and they have offices across the country, actually. They focus on financial and management consulting with Catholic religious. I worked with them for a number of years, actually started working with them while still in school, and they ultimately sponsored me for my working visa. And then subsequent to that, I transferred to a firm in Rhode Island, Star Johnson and Yersillo. That was a CPA firm because I needed to get my license. So I had passed the CPA exam when I took it the first time in New York, but because BMT wasn't a CPA firm, I couldn't get that one-year experience. And so the idea was that I was just going to work for Spar Johnson and Yersillo for about a year and then maybe go back to BMT, but I really loved public accounting. Stayed with that firm, SJU in Rhode Island, because I was transferred to Rhode Island actually through BMT. And so they ended up sponsoring me for my green card. So I stayed with that firm for about eight years until for, for, for personal reasons, my husband and I decided to move to Houston. And so I had a bit of a Slow start, I guess is what I would say in the context of a CPA firm, simply because SJU, a wonderful firm, by the way, very progressive. I got to do a lot of things, but it was very small. 
And in small firms, there's not a lot of hierarchy, really. Lynn Elderkin, who was the partner I worked with the most in audit, she treated me truly as a partner, even though you know I was really a manager and she would ask me to review her work papers and vice versa. And so I really got to do a lot of things in that firm, but I didn't have the title. And so when we moved to Houston, finding Briggs and Visaka was really a game changer for me because by that point, I was already very experienced, you know, had a number of years of experience under my belt, but came into the firm as a manager and from a small firm. And so that really was a big adjustment for me. And what I came to realize looking back it was the right platform for me because it really opened my eyes as to what a partner means. And um, one of the biggest things that I was very intimidated about was business development, for instance. And so when I first moved to Houston, I actually joined a firm. I don't know if you knew this, but I joined a different firm because their pitch to me was, you can make partner without selling. And that was actually true because they were a very highly specialized firm doing public company audits. But I came to find out that was not my passion. As much as auditing SEC companies is very challenging technically, I was more really about working with a client to solve their problems. And so I was more attracted to middle market companies because my previous job was with a firm that did pretty much all sorts of services, audit, tax, consulting, and I got to do them all because that was the benefit of being in a small firm. And so when I found Briggs and Veselka, that's when I think within the first year, I thought, you know, I can make partner. You know, this is something I would like to pursue because it does provide a platform for helping clients, for developing, for growing, but also for helping our staff. And so I think that's really the game changer for me because the first week that I was at the firm, John Fladowitz, our managing partner that I actually took over from, was the department chair for audit at the time. And my first week, he asked me if I had plans one afternoon because he had a prospect call. And he took me with him. And that just opened up my eyes in terms of business development because he looked at it really and he treated it in a very different way. It wasn't about selling our services or telling the client how good we are, but it was more about how can we help you? What are your needs? And he was offering up solutions that we weren't even really, really doing, but we can connect them, right? With our referral sources, whether it's a bank or an attorney or R&D tax credit study. I was really fascinated and amazed because I started to really think that, you know, I can do this because I really love helping people. And so this is really just about helping my clients. And that just really changed everything for me. And since then, I've taken this perspective of the business development is really about solving problems of our clients. And so that's what we try to teach us at the firm as a result. And then the other thing that brings in the Salka, which proves the point that if you are in the right firm, you can really thrive. So with Briggs and Visaka, they really recognize you as an individual and what you bring to the table. So for me, it was the fact that I had a great interest in litigation because litigation support, because at the time I was attending law school in the evenings and was looking for a way to leverage that with the firm and they embraced it. I remember meeting with the executive committee before I made partner saying we can develop a litigation support valuation practice, put it under one umbrella. And I mean, that was gosh, 11 years ago, and our forensic valuation litigation support practice is one of our fastest growing areas now. And so I think in in many ways, and I know that's sort of like fairly long-winded, but finding the right firm that really recognized 
what I bring to the table and able to marry, and I, I talk about this a lot with our with our future leaders, marrying the interests of the individual to the needs of the firm, I think really made me realize that I can pursue part, being a partner and that it will be a very fulfilling option for me, especially considering how late I got in the game. You know, I made a partner in 2010. I joined the firm in 2007 as a manager. And so the firm didn't look at me and say, well, you don't have tenure in the firm. What they did was look at me and say, well, you have potential and we'll cultivate that. And I'll never forget, I had my second child in October of 2009, took a maternity leave, came back in December, and then they signed me up for a leadership training that with the Partner Institute, which is a group that trains future partners. And that was a game changer because they, it really provided me the soft skills, the intangible skill sets, and gave me the confidence to pursue becoming a partner. So I really do credit the firm for changing my mindset, I guess, in terms of what a partner is and can do, and also all the things that you need to do as a partner, the business development being topmost, and shifting and reframing my thinking around that. Joey Tackett, who also, by the way, was a previous guest on the show with Deloitte, was next. So I am with Deloitte & Touche. I've been there just over 22 years, and I became a partner just over eight years ago, although it feels like just last week. So I'll tell you a few things about myself. And as you know me, I'm an open book, so I'll share some tidbits here. 43 years old. I was born in South Texas, so technically I'm a Texan, but... I was adopted at birth, and we moved as a family when I was a baby to New Orleans. So New Orleans is what I claim at home. I love all things New Orleans, especially my New Orleans saint. A few things about me. I love God. I love people. And a couple of interesting facts. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And most importantly, lately, I have a new puppy. So that's really keeping me busy. Was becoming a partner always a goal for you? And if so, why? Or if not, when did you become interested in that level of responsibility? I would love to say that it was always a goal that I strive for and I achieved that goal, but I absolutely never envisioned being a partner. I never gave much thought to it. It always seemed like sort of a pie-in-the-sky dream. So when I joined Deloitte, it was something just for me to have a professional job. As I mentioned, no one in my family had graduated from college, so I didn't have a role model. My parents didn't know people that were professionals. So I really never had a mentor to look up to, to, to even know that something like this was possible. So I sort of just took it day by day. And my natural personality type is not a type A personality. I'm not a natural driver. I always do my best and always strive for success, but being a partner is not something I ever fathomed. In fact, the more I thought about it, I sort of pushed it off. I don't like public speaking. I'm a little more introverted than extroverted, although many people would not believe that. So I didn't think I had the qualities to be a partner. So I would typically take it two to three years at a time and say, at the end of those two or three years, I'll reassess and decide if staying with Deloitte is something I want to do. But partner was way down the road, probably four to five years before I would have been at the level to make partners when I really started to give it some serious consideration. I was a high performer. I was certainly on the glide path to making partner, but there was a long way to go. And I decided at that point, I'm going to go for it. And if I fail, I fail, but I don't want to look back and have regrets. So four or five years before making partners, when I made some pretty serious commitments and said, that's a goal of mine and I want to achieve that. 
here I am. Beautiful. Kim Ford, who is actually a new guest for us on this program, joined us as well, and it was good to get her perspective. Here's what Kim had to say. Tell us about yourself, your name, what firm you're with, how long you've been there, and then when did you become a partner? All right. My name is Kim Ford, and our firm is the K Ford Group. It's been known by a few different names over the years since I've been here. I've actually been with this firm since 1983 when I graduated from college from Texas Tech. Um, It was my first job out of college and then became a partner in 1994. And so I've been a partner for a lot of my life. I always wanted to be a partner in a firm. I grew up in West Texas in a small town in the Permian Basin and started working for a CPA when I was 16 and realized that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I went to school at Texas Tech got an accounting degree, and then moved to San Antonio. That was always my dream. I always wanted to be able to help clients do more with their financial life. And our fifth guest partner was Jocelyn Hill. Tell us about yourself, your name, what firm you're with, how long you've been there, and then when did you become partner? My name is Jocelyn Hill. I'm with the CPA and management consulting firm Williams Adley in Washington, D.C. I've been with the firm almost 28 years, and I became a partner in 2005, so that's about 15 years ago. Was becoming a partner always a goal for you, and if so, why? Or if not, when did you become interested in that level of responsibility? Well, becoming a partner was not always a goal for me. Early on, I was exploring different career options, and I had worked initially at a CPA firm, KPMG, right out of college, doing financial statement audits. And then I moved to a consulting firm doing contracting work for the federal government. So early on, I had a few different work experiences. So I really wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to take my career. Um, after I landed with William Sadley, I became interested in being a partner and you know, began to visualize myself in that role after I had been a manager for several years. By that time, I had become very ingrained within the firm. I had played a role in helping to grow and develop the culture of the firm, and I had some successes on my engagements. But mostly, I respected the executive management of the firm so much and their vision, and so I saw myself being at the firm long-term. One of the items that I wanted to make sure we brought out in this podcast was what may have been different about being a partner that you don't realize until you become one. Many of us have a picture in our minds of what being a partner at an accounting firm looks like or what that life is like. But like many things in life, sometimes it's a little different than you would expect. Here's what each guest had to say on that matter. What have you learned since becoming a partner that you didn't realize before? I think being a partner in a CPA firm, it's just like being an owner in in any other business. And once you become an owner in a business, then it's your baby. And I knew that, that partners worked hard because I had great partner mentors along the way at different firms in my hometown and, and in Lubbock, even here in San Antonio. But I had no idea how much time it takes to be a business owner and how it is all-consuming, and you have to work really hard for it not to be all-consuming. What have you learned since becoming partner 
that you didn't realize before? I think the most important thing I learned, because I always had this concept that partners were much better than everyone else. They handled stress better. They were smarter. But I've learned that partners are people like the rest of us. They put on their pants time, as they say. I like to tell people when I'm recruiting them or when they get hired that I'm no better than them, right? I just have the benefit of 22 years worth of experience. And in fact, many times, you know, they come in with a higher GPA, a better wealth of experience, more diverse thoughts. So I always encourage them to think big and never think of themselves as less. So partners are just like anyone else. Another thing I've learned is that challenges come at all levels. I think a lot of times we live with the mentality of, if I can just get promoted to manager, if I can just get promoted to partner, then everything will be easier and I won't have all these stressful situations. Well, good news is it's nice to make partner. Bad news is challenges come at all levels. So try to focus on what you're doing and do the best you can while you're in that position. But realize that each and every role is going to have stressful situations, stressful challenges. They're just new challenges that you didn't have before. And finally, to my long-winded answer, I realized that people matter at every single level. The key to my success is hiring and retaining good people. If you can hire and retain good people, take care of them, then you're going to go a long way. And no partner, no person can do it alone. What have you learned since becoming a partner that you didn't realize before? You know, this one took me a minute to come up with, but what I realized stood out the most was how equity partnership changes your financial picture. So honestly, I did not really do much research at the time I was entering the partnership as far as how buying in was going to work and how my taxes would change. And so I'm referring to things like, adjusting to paying estimated quarterly taxes all of a sudden and how important it was for me to really build up a decent sized pot of money in the bank account to really be able to do that quarterly. And understanding that once I bought into the firm, my take-home pay would dip down for a few years while I was making payments on the loan that I took out to buy my shares. And also realizing how different it feels during a year of loss than it does during a year of profit and whether you meet your performance metrics or not. So a lot of the financial, I guess, issues or or things to consider, I really had not thought of prior to becoming a partner. So what have you learned since becoming a partner that you didn't realize before? I think the easiest item to identify is that everybody is anxious. When I started out, I was certain that the partners had the answers. And I'm not saying that they don't. Now that I'm a partner, I like to think I have some answers. But the truth is that I'm still anxious and we still have to be responsive to changes in the industry and changes in technology and then developing humans, right? I mean, I know how difficult I may have been to manage at some point in my life. So developing myself, there's times that I crossed my arms and was sure that that other person wasn't right about their development comments to me. And so I could have been a difficult human at times, probably. So developing other team members is something that I've learned to do substantially better as a partner. But in that whole process, everybody's anxious about it. Everybody comes into development conversations with a level of uncertainty. And 
I had to become comfortable with that level of uncertainty. That level of uncomfortableness was just required in order to get to where you needed to go. And so I never realized when I was starting out that partners are just as anxious about having those conversations about developing team members as those team members are anxious about to hear what those comments may be. What have you learned since becoming a partner that you didn't realize before? Okay, so I think this one, right, it's really hard because you sometimes have goals, you look at it and you think that you have a notion of what it would look like once you get there and then you get there and you're like, well, that's not really what I expected. So I think in many ways I can describe partnership, uh, being a partner as that, right? It's one thing that I really realized very early on is that being a partner carries tremendous responsibility. Because, you know, when, when you're a manager or senior manager or even a principal, you know, you're really focused on your practice, your engagements, your clients. So it doesn't diminish the importance of that. Certainly that's very important. But once you become a partner, you're responsible. You're an owner. You're responsible for the firm and the firm's success, which meant you're responsible for maintaining the livelihood of those at the firm. And that's a huge, huge responsibility. And so that to me was the game changer. And it also forced me to look beyond my partner, just like my individual hat, and think about the greater good of the firm and the synergies that we needed to create in order to enable the firm to continue to be successful. So that was definitely something I didn't realize before I made partner. The other thing that I realized is just how words truly matter. And what I mean by that is that as a partner, the things that we say and how we say it has a great impact on the people we are talking to. So, so to me, that really requires us to be very careful and not be flippant, you know, when we're talking to staff, team members, because one comment can be taken out of context and can create just a series of unfortunate miscommunications. And so I'm, I'm very cautious because of that, whether it's the tone of my emails, the conversations that I'm having with people. I always talk about you have to really deliver the message the right way. And I think that that is definitely a, a huge realization that I've come to just learn in this role. And then really the biggest responsibility too, and I've realized this with being at the firm now about 14 years, we are truly responsible in ensuring the culture of the firm is maintained. And that means that we really have to live the values of the firm every day and not just say it, right? We need to really live it, that we need to be the example because our staff, our team members, they're looking to us. And that doesn't mean we can't make mistakes. I mean, we're human, human beings, but even then being able to admit that we made a mistake, especially in this pandemic, this has become even more of an importance, I think, as a partner of setting that right example. One of our values, our core values are excellence, dedication, and compassion. So for us, compassion really bubbled up as the most important value in the year of pandemic. And I define compassion as empathy with action. And that really has cut across our whole firm, but it starts with the partners. You know, and how we treat our people when we went remote and understanding that some of our team members had to deal with family issues, whether it's taking care of someone, their kids, their family members, having to adjust their schedules. And that requires a lot of communication and understanding. But, you know, as a partner, we set the example. And one thing that I talk to our partners a lot about, and I'm still working on this as well, is we need to make this partner role attractive. To the staff. Because I can tell you when you ask me, okay, did you ever want to become partner? 
when I started at Briggs and Zuselka, and um, it's a great firm, even at the time, I recognized how special the firm is because I would look up, right? And we have women partners that had families. It was a role I wanted to have because I knew I could do it without sacrificing my personal life. And I think that's so important that we do that. We already have an image issue with CPAs because we do have busy season and we work a lot of hours. There's no question about it. But how can we make this role more attractive to young people? Because I think most of the time they look up and they say, I don't want that life. You know, they don't have a life. (laughs) I make it a point truly to be an example, to set that example. My family and I travel. I think I may have shared it with you, Mark. We travel quite a bit overseas and I have family all over the world. And that is one of the things that I value. And so um, this year we couldn't do it, but I set that example. My calendar shows when I'm doing things with my family. I have more of a work-life integrated model that I follow. But I think one thing I didn't realize before is that we do need to work harder to make this role more attractive because it is a very challenging role. And sometimes I think we discourage people from pursuing because they think they're giving something up. They're going to have to sacrifice something in order to make partner. Before I got into the harder questions regarding advice, I wanted to make sure we hit the high points because it really is an accomplishment to be able to advance to this level. And it has its rewards, of course, as well. For this question, I ask each partner what they enjoy the most about their role as a partner. Here's what each individual had to say regarding what they most enjoy about that responsibility. What do you enjoy most about your role as a partner? I absolutely enjoy developing others. I enjoy providing opportunities. And those are kind of very vague comments. Really, ultimately, it's I love coaching and seeing people develop over time. I've had many team members over time that they started out. And through discussions, through development, they've kind of expanded. Everybody starts out with a more narrow thought of what public accounting is or whatever position you start at with any organization. You always have a more narrow focus. You can't possibly see everywhere that that's going to go. So seeing team members develop over time into whether they're strong in leadership but poor technically to develop more technically or their technical skills are on par with where they should be, but their leadership is outpaced because maybe even in college they were involved in some student organizations, so they had outside the classroom type of experience. So seeing those team members develop, it's really rewarding seeing somebody start. And I mean, I even remember when I started with the firm, I had with Howard, I had about four or five years of experience at that point. And maybe in the first week or two, the founding partner and I, we disagreed on something, the eye on how to handle a client situation. And I made a client angry. And to go from there to where I am today, seems like there's just no way that would have happened. The founding partner had obviously a lot of pull So I think of that path. I don't think of all the incremental things. It it feels like a bigger jump when when you're not thinking about the incremental improvements, but it's those incremental improvements that you see as a partner as you're trying to develop team members. And when somebody, you kind of envision them, like right now I have an audit manager that I've known since she was 18. She interned first with us when she was 19. And now, seven years later, eight years later, it's just incredible to see what that development is. That's not all because of me, but the small part that I played, it's, it's really enjoyable to see that. There was some advice I gave her way back when she was an intern to focus on her own development 
don't spend all your energy comparing yourself to others. That's wasted energy. It doesn't propel you forward. And everybody's story is different. And that's really hard advice to hear. It's really hard advice to hear when you're 19, but it's really hard advice to hear even for seasoned professionals. So seeing just a small piece of advice carried through, and that's what she talks about when she goes and she talks to classrooms now and different student organizations and kind of see, seeing that little development thread. And my job is not to do everything myself. My job is to enable others to be able to do as much as they can. I want to be a force multiplier. And so it's just an amazing feeling when you see every so often being pretty successful at that. So what do you enjoy most about your role as a partner? Well, that's a good one. You know, for me, it's really working with our executive management team to make decisions about the future of the firm. williams Adley is a small firm. We're only about 70 employees. And so we don't have a lot of layers of partners. We don't have a board that we have to report to. We don't have a complicated legal structure that restricts what we're able to do. And so because of this, my two other partners and I are very involved in all facets of the firm, from strategic planning to operations, to staff development and client service, and of course, business development. And we're able to make decisions that impact the firm fairly quickly, fairly easily. And so coming together and having a hand in what's next for the firm and for our employees is very rewarding and also exciting. And so I think that exchange of ideas and making decisions that we all decide this is what we're going to do, that's actually very enjoyable. What do you enjoy most about your role as a partner? I'm an audit partner. And so the most important thing as an audit partner is that we are independent of our clients. So we can't cross certain lines. But as I mentioned, I love people and I love developing relationships with them. And so I like to spend time with my clients, getting to know them better, obviously not crossing the line of independence, but where I can help and advise them to do so. And then helping people succeed. That's certainly one of the things that gives me the most pleasure and really a big reason why I continue to be a partner. It gives me a unique opportunity to hire people, to develop people, and to see them succeed at all different levels. I've had the very, very great pleasure of seeing some good friends get promoted to partner and some good friends and colleagues get promoted to other levels within the firm. And to see their joy and their happiness of achieving that goal means a lot to me. What do you enjoy most about your role as a partner? That's easy for me. What I enjoy the most is working with our team members and and truly developing people through the firm initiatives and to creating opportunities for people is just near and dear to me. And it's really just being part of something bigger than myself, because as we look at the initiatives of the firm, we're really creating these efforts that have a long-lasting impact on the firm that creates, for instance, niche areas similar to what I've been able to take advantage of in the firm that, that is a, creates a pipeline, right, of leaders because we're creating areas that's interesting to them, but also areas of growth in our firm. So we're highly focused right now, for instance, in developing our energy practice, our client accounting services practice, our private equity practice, our SEC practice. And in all of these areas, we have found people that have a great deal of interest and affinity towards these individual and separate but complementary services in the firm. So I really enjoy that, being able to see the bigger picture because I, in my role as, this, as the managing partner, certainly I'm seeing the efforts really come together and driving this strategy. 
for the firm. So the most rewarding thing for me is just really making a difference in our team members and our clients' lives. And it's just so, so neat to be in a profession, right, that um, has a purpose. And, and I think that really became very evident in this pandemic. I would say that working with our people and our clients is what I enjoy the most. What do you enjoy most about your role as a partner? What I enjoy most about being a partner is truly getting to help our clients and make a difference in their lives. We love being able to give our clients financial peace of mind. And even though that's part of our mission, it's so true. I can't tell you how many times I meet with clients in our conference room and they come in with troubles of all sorts, whether they're behind on taxes or they're getting a divorce or they're in the middle of litigation of some sort. And after we meet, they look at me or, and any of our people in the firm and they look us in the eye and they say, I can sleep better tonight after this conversation. And that's what makes the world go around for me. Well, now we get into some of the most valuable parts of this episode. What I really wanted to touch on, since so many college students and those early in their careers aspire to become a partner someday in an accounting firm, at least I did, and many of the people that I knew at that point in their early careers did, I wanted to see what advice these partners would have for people just starting out in their careers. Although several points really could work for anyone at any stage, this question was specific to those just starting out. So please keep that in mind as you listen. This is what our guest partners had to say regarding advice in that area. So let's say someone is very early on in their career, you know, the first couple years, and they feel like they are interested in becoming a partner in an accounting firm. They aspire to become a partner. What advice would you have for them? Great question. I think the obvious would be to develop their technical skills. So whatever technical area they're working in, whether it's IT or primarily audit, to really know their craft, so to speak, and hone their technical skills. The second is really about the soft skills. And I think people underestimate the importance of people skills and presentation skills and even writing skills when they're becoming a partner. And these are skills that may take time for some people to develop over the years. And so I would suggest that they focus on that because they are very important skills. When you get a partner, you're sitting at that top seat and you're responsible for a wide variety of tasks and you're responsible for the people that work for you in the firm. And so good emotional intelligence is really important in doing that job well. Yeah, I've got one more. I would say try to get exposed to business development as early as possible. So if you're aspiring to be a partner, think about that aspect. It's one of the key roles of a partner, bringing in business. And there are some things that someone can think about and do early on, hopefully, within their organization. It could be as simple as learning what's going on with your client, getting used to talking to your client, asking them what their needs are and how you can help serve those needs or whether it's helping to write a proposal or a white paper. So getting exposed to business development and getting comfortable with it early on, I think, is really key. If someone aspires to become a partner, what advice would you have for them early in their careers? Looking back early on, I would say play the long game. If you 
think about the prospect of making partner too early in your career. It's going to seem like something that's very difficult to achieve or it's so far off. You might tend to think I'll never get there or you might focus on the wrong things too early in your career. So I would say focus on the process and then the results will take care of themselves. And what I mean by that is at each different level, you'll have roles and responsibilities. Do the best you can on those. Give 100% and success will take care of itself. A few other things I would say is be adaptable. We live in a vastly changing world. Things are changing faster than we can stay up with. So we have to focus on the end goals, but how you achieve those needs to be flexible. I've heard it said like this, stay married to the message, but not the methods. A few other things, in today's day and age, building diverse teams is vital, right? If we live in an echo chamber and we all have the same thoughts and experiences, we're not going to get the best and the greatest ideas. So surround yourself with good, high-talented, diverse people as much as you can. Self-care is extremely vital. So you have to find a way to step back and take a break. There's always going to be something clamoring for your time and attention, but you need to make sure that you're taking the time that you need to refill the tank in whatever form or fashion that takes. Personally, I love to exercise four or five times a week, and certainly that takes time, but the benefits that it provides, I think, more than outweighs the time that that takes. And lastly, and this might be the most important thing, but if someone aspires to be partner, always be honest. Integrity, in particular, as an audit partner, is the most important thing. It's something that once it's gone, you can't get that back. If you mess up, own it, and move on, you can recover from that. Things can be fixed. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation, but sometimes only a few minutes to ruin it. If someone's very early on in their career, in other words, just the first few years, first couple years, and they aspire to become a partner, what advice would you have for them? That's an interesting question because, as I said early on, I always wanted to be a partner. And so the way I acted as a young staff member was like a partner. I emulated what the partners did. I made sure I wore what the partners wore. I made sure I paid attention to what they said and how they responded to the clients. And I took ownership of clients and and families of clients. And that's what made a difference. And that's what makes a difference to me when I see a young uh, person coming up in our firm. If they take an ownership interest in these clients and truly care about what the client cares about, that is partner potential. If someone aspires to become a partner, what advice would you have for them early in their careers? Or in other words, if someone's in the first couple years of their career and they aspire to become a partner, what advice would you have for them? My first piece of advice is relatively rudimentary. You have to remember that it's about being an owner. You want to become technically proficient, but an owner requires a skill set that is different than a technician. So you just have to keep that in mind as you're developing yourself. And then I would tell them to focus on the team. Don't try to make active decisions. When you're presented with opportunities, don't make active decisions as to, I'm not quite sure how this is going to propel my career forward. You can't always tell before you get there what skills that you might need in order to be successful. I was so thankful that I was just getting started in the profession or even just getting started in outside organizations. 
one of the organizations I'm involved in, the TXCPA, there's a couple of opportunities there just to go start talking in classrooms to students about different opportunities or career awareness. I started in that group, and from there, it kind of fingered out to different things. So I got to know more about marketing, got to know more about strategic planning, and the opportunities sometimes are kind of hidden. They wear overalls and look like work, some people will say. So don't try to guess which ones will result in something that will improve you. Clean work, messy work, whatever, it's difficult to tell. You can't assume that somebody is not thinking about how to best develop you. I certainly hand out assignments that way. There are assignments that we just need to get done sometimes. They're not fun, like billing. I don't know what lesson there is in there other than to know maybe how efficient you should be. But there's things that aren't fun. But there's a substantial majority of what I do when I hand out that work, that that's an opportunity I'm trying to develop someone. And it's disappointing when they don't appreciate that opportunity. And I mean appreciate as in uh, they're, they're disappointed that that's what they got assigned. Like, oh, man, there's something in there. I'm so excited for you to learn it. So I would just say don't be an active judger of the opportunities that are coming to you because there's hidden things in there that you're going to be surprised that you're going to use later in your career. So if someone is early in their careers, the first couple of years, and they feel like they aspire to become a partner, what advice would you have for them? Great question. And I wish someone would have advised me <laughs> when I was starting out as well. I think first and foremost is clarifying your values. What matters most to you? I think sometimes we can get caught up in the business and the ladder climbing, so to speak, that we don't even realize that ladder is on the wrong wall. And it's too late by the time we get up there and we're thinking, what did I just give up, right? And But I think if you're clear on your values, what I've found personally is it anchors you and guides you and really helps you be true to yourself and not give up on the things that you value the most. That doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes along the way, but you can kind of do a reset or you can course correct so to speak. Because if you kind of know your long-term goal, and I'm not talking about being successful or being a partner, but I'm talking about like literally like your long-term goal, like what what's the legacy that you want to leave the world, right? Because I think for all of us, that's the biggest question we grapple with. What's our purpose? Why are we here? And, and maybe that's too big, but even if you just say, okay, what do I want that five-year goal to be? What do I want the 10-year goal to be? So really having a long view, I think is huge. And if you have a long view that is anchored in your values, I just think that you're going to have a much more fulfilling life where you're not finding yourself being too centered in one thing. And I think it's just easier for you to balance it. And for me, that it works, works tremendously. You know, obviously my family is the most important thing and, and my faith. And so I always kind of anchor myself in those things. And it's really interesting how it gives me the confidence, you know, no matter how difficult the situation might be. So I would definitely encourage our listeners to be clear about your values. And that's going to evolve over time, right? Because <laughs> if you're 20 years old, that may look different. But so you have to keep revisiting it and making sure that you're evolving, evolving your, your values as well. So as you know, and, and as you heard in some of the introduction comments from our guest, many people don't start to think about the possibility of becoming a partner until much later in their careers, actually. Therefore, I wanted to make sure we addressed that particular demographic as well. Those not just starting out, but those that have already been in the workforce for a while. What I really found interesting was there was a definite theme that I didn't expect, although I guess I should have. That theme 
was regarding communication. If an accountant is mid-career, how can they better position themselves to become a partner? Or in other words, let's say it wasn't something they initially aspired to, but now they feel like they definitely would like to stay in public accounting and achieve that level. What advice would you have for them? Oh, that's a good one. Gosh, I think really what I would recommend is that to make sure that you are making decision makers aware of your desires, right? And being proactive and creating your development plan that is not just a single year, but like a multi-year and so that you can talk to your mentor. Hopefully you're in a firm where there is a mentoring or a coaching program, or maybe you're working with a partner on a particular engagement. First and foremost, of course, you've got to make sure that you are making your partner's life or your supervisor's life easier. Because in this profession, it is required, right, that you have the technical abilities to do the work. And then what really elevates you after you have proven yourself technically are your intangible skill sets, you know, your ability to manage a project, your ability to deal with clients, your ability to work with expanding your network so that you have referral sources that can bring business to the firm, your ability to develop people underneath you, to mentor them, to train them. I would create a development plan that's comprehensive that doesn't just focus on the technical, but equally focuses on the intangible assets and recognize the areas of improvement, right? Because we're not perfect. So, Continuing to learn, I think, is so crucial in this profession. We have to have that continuous learning mindset. And then once you create that for yourself, a blueprint, so to speak, I would find a sponsor, an advocate, somebody that you work well with that has influence. And of course, you don't want to do it in a way where you're you're just doing it for purposes of moving up. That's not the purpose. Like What you're trying to do there is, again, marry your skill sets with the firm so that you can actually help the firm achieve its goals. So always tying your goals to the strategic goals of the firm as well. But one thing that I have seen, and this is something we work hard at BNB, is sometimes we have this notion of leadership, I think, where we have a view that it's somebody that's confident, you know, is not afraid to speak, right? Um, when you're in a group or just this, this stereotypical quote unquote leader. But what I've found is that we can all be leaders. We can all lead from our seat. And it doesn't matter what personality you are. You know, I actually, frankly, I'm an introvert. It still gives me butterflies, you know, whenever I have to speak with someone, even this conversation with you, Mark, and it's just the two of us. But the reality of it is, again, if you're clear on your purpose, it gives you that confidence. But I cannot overly stress the importance of having people that you trust, your mentors, that can check you, that can provide feedback. This is so crucial. You have to receive feedback with grace because that's the only way you're going to know your blind spot. To this day, I continue to ask for feedback. I continue to ask my team to say, hey, I have blind spots. Tell me if I'm doing something because I would rather you tell me than that I make a mistake. And just being secure in yourself, right? To be able to ask for that feedback, I think is very crucial. But I cannot also overemphasize the importance of getting visibility. Just putting your head down and doing the work doesn't get you that. You have to really raise your hand, take on challenging projects, create your brand as a professional as well. So I know that there's a lot there to unpack, but I would say take ownership of your development by creating a blueprint, your, your business plan, so to speak, for yourself or your, your development plan, and then finding a sponsor, a mentor to help you through that process. So based on what you said earlier, I think this is a really appropriate question for you. 
if an accountant is mid-career, how can they better position themselves to become partner? Or in other words, let's say it wasn't something they initially aspired to, but now they feel they definitely like to stay in public accounting and, and achieve that level. What advice would you have for them? One of the most important things, and this was extremely important to my success, is finding a mentor. So no matter what firm you're with, I'm sure that you're going to get assigned a formal counselor relationship. You may have a buddy, depending on what level you're at. But if you can, find a mentor that's outside of sort of those formal networks, someone that has achieved success, someone that you trust, and someone that's going to be brutally honest with you. Right. So if you have things to work on, you don't need someone to just be a cheerleader for you and tell you you're doing everything right. You want someone that's going to be honest with you and someone that can guide you through all levels of the firm, whether that mentor is a senior partner, a younger partner, a mid-level partner, really doesn't matter. Just someone that you trust and that's willing to spend that time with you. As I said, my mentor helped guide me through Deloitte since I was a audit senior and promised me that they would not retire from the firm until I made partner. And they kept true to their word. They did not retire. And they actually, they retired right around the time that I was making partner. A few other things, always ask for feedback. You know, none of us like to hear that we're not doing a good job or we have points of improvement. But if you're not getting the feedback and not learning the things you need to work on, then ultimately you're going to fail. And if you haven't had that feedback, then you won't have a chance to correct that. I think I mentioned this before, always surround yourself with good people and take care of your people. Usually, the firms will allow you certain programs where you can give them spot awards and things like that, take them to lunch. But probably even more importantly, is just taking the time and the effort to say thank you to them one-on-one. And they know when you sincerely mean it. And when someone feels appreciated, I mean, they will just run through walls for you. A few other things I'll say is, to the extent you can, be strategic in the opportunities you say yes to and realize that you do have the ability to say no, not to every opportunity, and it takes some discernment to know when it's a what we call a voluntold assignment where there you might get asked, but really the answer needs to be yes. <laughs> but you do have the opportunity to say no to some things. So avoid distractions as much as you can if it's not strategic to your path to partnership, and that goes along with consulting with your mentor, then it's just a distraction. Andy Stanley has a podcast that I listen to, and he has a great quote that I had to write down. And he said, distractions have a way of showing up on your doorstep, masquerading as opportunities. So if an accountant is mid-career, how can they better position themselves to become a partner? Or in other words, let's say That wasn't something they initially aspired to, but now they feel that they really enjoy public accounting and they would like to achieve partnership level. What advice would you have for them? I would first suggest that they let their upper management know that it is a career aspiration uh, for them. So let that be known and talk to others in senior management. Tell them that you want to be a partner and, and ask for some specific advice. Depending on your level, maybe you could talk to a partner that you're close to and tag along to a few meetings to observe really what goes on in some of those client meetings or those business development meetings to observe what the partner says or does. And I would advise anyone to seek out a mentor 
at that point in their career if they did not already have one, preferably someone who's already a partner that really can talk to them frequently and help them as they kind of create that path for themselves. I'd also, again, if you can, show executive management that you can develop business. I know in my career, I observed that some of the managers or senior managers that got the most attention were ones that were actively interested in business development or had had actually helped to bring some work in. That will get someone's upper management attention very quickly. And so, again, just not to overlook that business development piece. If an accountant is mid-career, how can they better position themselves to become a partner? Or in other words, let's say it wasn't something that they initially aspired to, but now they feel that they definitely enjoy public accounting and they want to achieve that level. What advice would you have for them? Yeah, definitely. And that's a tough question because there's so many of us that decided. I decided what I feel is kind of mid-career. And most of the partners I know decided more mid-career. There's only maybe two out of the eight partners we have at Howard that probably started out saying, yeah, I want to be a partner. So I think this is very germane to what most people experience. And I would definitely say when you make that decision, I would say spend some time developing yourself. I had an individual that came to me Uh, it's probably about five or six years ago now that this is the exact scenario. They decide, oh, maybe I want to become a partner. And I told them, well, okay, here's a couple of things that you may think of. These are non-technical items that you need to develop. It's already within kind of our role matrix, and this is what the different levels kind of focus on. But depending upon the person, hit all attributes 100%. Nobody does. So I said, well, if that's the truth, then I would give an outsized emphasis to these couple of items. And I said, one of them, in order to do it, you need to be more comfortable, maybe not with public speaking, but you need to be more comfortable with communicating with clients and communicating with the team. Because being a partner, two of the biggest roles are developing people and developing work. And those both require quite a bit of communication. And so I encouraged them to join an organization called Toastmasters, and they asked me about it, and I gave them some background, it's about one hour a week, and how the meetings ran. And after the discussion, she said, I don't have the time for that. I said, well, I'll give you the time. I'll make that work if there's a meeting that's lunchtime and you need drive time or whatever it is. And they decided that they didn't want to do that. And I was slowly disheartened. We all like to think that we give really great advice. And so I discussed this with her. I'd, I'd take an extra time. And they said, nope, I don't have time to do that. I said, well, you, you really need to think whether you want to be a partner or not, because one hour a week dedicated to developing yourself is really not a big ask. And so if you're switching mid-career, whether it's that type of scenario or not, there's going to be some items that I would be asking the question of the partners at the firm I'm at, what are the outsized emphasis items that I need to have? A lot of times, probably about half the time, I would say it's a communication thing, whether it's developing people or developing work. One of those two probably needs a little bit of brush up or outsized emphasis. But I would definitely go to my partners, say, where's the additional emphasis need to be placed and go from there. Hmm, that's good advice. So if an accountant is mid-career, how can they better position themselves to become a partner? Or in other words, let's say it wasn't something that they initially inspired to early in their career, but now they know that they really enjoy public accounting and they want to achieve that level. What advice would you have for them? If they have kind of a change of heart, so to speak, in mid-career, I would suggest they go talk to the partners in their firm. 
and let them know because we as partners are so busy taking care of all the things we are taking care of. Sometimes we don't notice when someone has had a change of heart. I had a young lady come to me this past month and she said, I want to step it up. I want to do more and I want you to give me more and I'm ready for this. And so here we go. And it was, we welcome those, those kinds of conversations because you know, partners are hard to come by. And so letting the partners in the firm know that that's really what you want makes all the difference in the world. Now, I couldn't just ask for advice for those wanting partnership without being clear about the realization that partnership in an accounting firm is definitely not for everyone. It has its joys and its advantages, of course, but also it has its responsibilities, some heavy responsibilities. When you're early in your career sometimes, at least for some people like me at that stage, it can look like it's all roses, you know, all a piece of cake, so to speak. But I know that that's not the case from what I've seen in my own career. It's definitely got its responsibilities as well. Listen in on what each partner's answer was to who is partnership not good for. I think you're going to find this really intriguing. So who is partnership not good for or what type of individual would not find the role appealing? I think that the opposite is true for for the kind of people that don't want to be a partner in that if you just want to come to work and do your job and clock out at 5 or 5.30 and go home and not be bothered by what's going on with your clients after hours or during the holiday season or whatever, then it's not right for you. Partnership's not right for you. And that's okay too, as long as you're willing to work hard for for the clients while you're here. But that's really the only people that I would think it's not good for because the reality is it it doesn't mean that you have to work a lot of hours to be a partner, although we all do, but it's really about the mindset of do you want to truly get involved with these clients and understand what their thoughts and worries and fears are and help them through this? Who is partnership not good for or what type of individual would not find the role appealing? So I have a different viewpoint on this one, and I actually have had to think about this, right, and in terms of when you had given me a heads up on, okay, this might be a question we're going to talk about. And I was sort of thinking to myself, okay, is there someone out there that where this would not be a good fit? And the more that I thought about it, though, the more that it came back to the comment I made earlier about our perception of being a partner, I think is what needs to change and how we develop people in the firm also needs to change because we do have this preconceived notion of what a partner looks like. And I must tell you, right, that when I made partner, I probably would not have been one that people would have thought was going to be a partner because again, like I was more kind of technical in a lot of ways when I was working at my old firm and it was a smaller firm. So I didn't even have to really do a lot of supervision. I did a lot of the work by myself, although I did do a lot of consulting with my clients. So there, there was a way for me to like stretch myself. And this is not a judgment on CPA firms. This is just how we grew up. I think we have this notion, right, of what a partner looks like. So I'd like to challenge that. And I'd like to look at it from the perspective again of Can we redefine, can we reframe what business development looks like? Because that's usually the stumbling block of why people decide they want to go a different path. Maybe not a partner, but a director, maybe another, whatever that title might be in a firm that is more of a technical person. And I'd like to challenge that. 
Because I think if you're a subject matter expert managing a niche, guess what you're doing? Managing a practice and you're developing people. You're responsible for developing people. You're responsible for servicing clients, which is your biggest referral source. You're responsible for yourself in terms of continuing to be valuable, continuing to improve yourself. And so I think that my answer to that is anyone can be a partner. And it's just a matter if we coach them early and they don't get into this thinking, right? That I think becomes a two-way street. Like we're coaching someone and they're not very extroverted and they say to you, well, I don't really like business development. Rather than saying, well, okay, well then let's make you a director. Could we work with them and say, well, tell me what interests you, right? Um, Because maybe I can help you. Maybe it's just a matter of you coming with me to a prospect. Like I personally experienced, I didn't think I was a business that I could develop business. I truly didn't. But it was that one action that John Flatowitz did that changed my whole my whole thinking. So I don't know if that's a fairly long answer, but I guess my answer there is that, you know, we just anyone can be a partner. And I think anyone can find a role that they would then find appealing and can thrive as a partner. Who is partnership not good for? Or what type of individual would not find the role of being a partner appealing? Well, I definitely think that. I definitely think if you do not like the idea of communicating with people, partnership is not for you. Also, if you do not like taking risks, then partnership is not for you. Because you are a business owner, you're going to be assisting in the process of determining whether or not to take certain courses of action. Your firm may need to invest in more technology or may need to acquire a new, I guess, skill set or a new revenue stream. So like, for example, right now, we're looking at adding a certain revenue stream that would be complementary to our tax services, and you have to spend money to do that. And so partners get what's left over. There's no guaranteed paycheck for partners. So there's a level of risk and uncertainty there. That doesn't mean that you're probably going to be unhappy with your pay, but you are risking your own money. So the decision-making, I mean, it's a true ownership-type mentality. And so the way you approach your clients, the way you approach developing work, it modifies a little bit. Just once you sign that dotted line, that sense of weight is there. So if you don't like risk or you don't like communicating with people, it's going to be difficult. There are some exceptions. If you're a technical partner at a large firm, that is a possibility. But even then, you have to communicate your technical findings if you're being consulted within the firm. So maybe the risk isn't as high but the communication is still going to be there. So those are the two areas that I would identify that I've seen people who've advanced a partner and then not liked it. They've struggled with those. So who is partnership not good for or what type of individual would not find the role appealing? I love this question. (laughs) I can think of a zillion things. It's not ideal for someone who wants a nine to five job. I would not recommend partners for someone that, again, wants to just put in a specific set of hours. You know, the work, it can be very rewarding, but it's demanding and the hours can be long. And so anyone seeking partnership needs to be ready to work and to really roll up their sleeves and contribute. It can actually, partnership can be like a marriage or a union with your other partners and you've got people depending on you, and you don't want to let them down. So sometimes it calls for evening work, weekend work, just whatever work. So nine to fivers, this is not for you. I would also say someone that is rigid and inflexible is probably not going to appreciate the role of a partner 
there are gray areas in the role. And to be successful, you also have to be accepting of different types of clients, of different types of employees that bring different perspective and may have different wiring than you. There's a need to see things differently where you're in that role, to see things more broadly and be willing to grow and change. So again, someone that's too rigid may struggle in this role. And lastly, I would say it's not good for someone who's wishy-washy or indecisive. And I'm never saying that you can't change your mind. I don't mean to imply that at all because you can and sometimes you need to once you have more information at your fingertips. But you do have to be able to make tough decisions in this role and then defend them. And so someone who's uncomfortable doing that probably would not find a lot of the tasks that are in front of them appealing. Who is partnership not good for or what type of individual would not find that role appealing? We hire the best of the best. So, and we look for a lot of different qualities and characteristics when we choose who to hire and it goes more than just your grade point average. We look at your experiences outside of school. Obviously, integrity and honesty is paramount. So I would say there's really, once you join Deloitte, there's really no set personality type that partnership is not good for. It just comes down to your personal circumstances and deciding that that's something that you want to try for because it does come with a lot of responsibility. It comes with a lot of criticism. My natural personality type tends to be a bit of a people pleaser. I'm a Enneagram type two and nine, if any listeners are familiar with Enneagram, but you have to put that to the side and realize that you're serving a bigger purpose and you're not always going to be able to please everyone. So you have to be willing to deal with criticism, be willing to deal with failure, but realizing that Failure is not permanent and it can be fixed. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we have partners of all types. Most people, as I said before, would never believe that I'm a little more introverted than extroverted because I am called upon to be a leader and to talk when no one else is willing to step up. But my natural personality type is a little more introverted. So really, if you have the right integrity, character, and honesty, and it's a goal of yours, it's definitely something that anyone can achieve. And finally, I thought it would be beneficial to get input from each individual on what they each may have done differently in their own careers if they had the chance to go back and change anything. I know it's an odd question, but if you think about it, we have five individuals here that have achieved quite a bit in their careers and really their lives overall. So I thought it would be very insightful to hear their thoughts on this matter. I ask each one what they would change in their own careers if they could go back and change just one thing. This is what they all had to say. So last question, if you could go back and change just one thing in your own career, what would that be? This was a hard one for me as I looked at your list of questions because I've loved my career. I've loved every step of the way. Not that it's been a bed of roses all the time. There's been lots of ups and downs and and bumps and hiccups, but those have also been learning opportunities. I think that if I could change one thing in my career, it might be that I should have asked for help sooner and more often and not have been so much of a lone ranger. in in getting things done. I think my work-life balance would have been a little better, even though I feel like I have had a a pretty good work-life balance. I remember when my only daughter graduated from high school, she looked at me and she said, you know, mom, 
you never missed anything that was important to me. And that was really important to me that she said that because it's, like I said earlier, it's easy to let this career consume you. And I believe that it's really important to ask for help. And when you ask for help, believe that the people that you've asked will truly get the job done, even though they won't do it exactly like you've done it, but they'll, get, they'll still get it done. If you could go back and change just one thing in your own career, what would that be? I probably would have changed and worked on building my personal and business network a little bit earlier on than I did. As I mentioned earlier, developing new business is critical for a partner, and you do have to have good relationships with all kinds of people in all circles. And so if I could do it again, I would have participated more in industry organizations and events and spent more time outside of work reaching out to other people. I learned over time that meeting someone is usually has an exponential effect in the sense that once you meet that person, you'll likely meet at least one or two other people through that person. So your network can grow pretty quickly. And so if I could go back and change one thing, that, that's certainly one that I would probably do a little bit differently. If you could go back and change just one thing in your own career, what would that be? That's an easy one for me, Mark. Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. And I truly mean that. You know, it took me longer, perhaps, to even get to Breakthrough Bifelka. I was at my old firm for eight years. And prior to that, I had four years with my previous firm in Brenner, McDonough, and Tortolani. But I tell you, all those experiences made me who I am today and made me who I was when I started with Briggs. And I think Briggs and Veselka credit to the partners that they recognized my potential from the outset. And because I did have an accelerated rise in the firm from partner, from manager to partner, but that was because I had those experiences that defined me and allowed me to have a broader perspective when it came to servicing our clients. So I would call them character building experiences and exercises. And so all that knowledge and training and people that I have met along the way that inspired me over the years, it just has given me a much better, I guess, portfolio from which to um, pull from, you know, whenever I'm dealing with things today. And, And as you can imagine, this role is beyond challenging, but I've been enjoying it because I have an amazing support system when it comes to our team and our team members. And it warms my heart to see a lot of the people that I've also coached and mentored along the way that are now partners of the firm. And so I just would not change a thing. It's been a great ride for me. And I'm looking forward to continuing being at the firm and helping shape the firm and be a steward for for, um, this wonderful gift that I've been given. If you could go back and change just one thing in your own career, what would that be? I would like to have less tunnel vision when I started out. I was so laser focused on improvement that you can actually become mentally exhausted, exhausting yourself from thinking about advancement all the time. I was fortunate that I didn't compare myself to others too much. So that wasn't energy that I was wasting very often. But if I had relaxed a little bit, if you're in this state of always thinking about improving and trying to squeeze every last morsel out of everything. It's a good metaphorical thought to have. I'm going to squeeze everything out of the opportunity, but sometimes you can put yourself at anxiety level high enough that you're actually changing your brain chemistry a little bit, and it's more difficult to learn from those situations. So kind of another way that I would put this is I wish I could tell myself to chill out a little bit more when I was a little younger in my profession. 
I'll say for the most part, this profession is exceedingly warm. Everybody wants everybody to learn. And so if you relax, take the approach that I'm going to assume positive intent from others around me, you'll find exceptions. So you're not going to get me on the 20% of exceptions out there. That doesn't bother me. Sometimes you're going to get your feelings hurt by somebody who isn't as warm. But on the whole, 80% of the time, you have people who want you to grow. And so lever that and relax and know that you will learn. If you're focusing on the work that you're doing at the time you're doing it, you're going to learn, you're going to grow. If you could go back and change just one thing, what would that be? To put it simply into one word, if I could change anything, I would change my attitude. So I had many situations that could have gone differently where I had failures. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. But each time I counted as a life experience and a learning experience. And many times we learn a lot more from our failures than we do from our successes. So I wouldn't go back and change any of those, but I would change my attitude towards them and change my perspective. As I mentioned before, we have a lot of stressful situations. We have a lot of tough times and we're always waiting on the next thing, and we believe that when that happens, the stress will go away. Well, you're always going to have challenges in life, but if you change your attitude and change your perspective, you can see that challenge as an opportunity. You can see it differently. And I always like to remember this because this is true. No matter how stressful your life seems, no matter how difficult that problem, there's someone here locally, there's someone on the other side of the world that is literally praying to be in your position and they would trade places with you in a heartbeat. So if you focus your perspective a little differently, all your problems will seem a lot smaller. Well, like I mentioned, that was the final question that I ran through our panel of five distinguished partners. I didn't realize this during the interviews, and, and actually, it didn't occur to me until after I was compiling this show, meaning, you know, I was piecing everything together, mixing and mingling the answers from each guest, et cetera, et cetera. But if there was one overarching theme to this podcast episode, one theme that ran through what it takes to become a partner, what they enjoy about the role advice they have for those aspiring to the position, and, and even those individuals that may not enjoy the responsibility of being a partner in an accounting firm. That one theme that runs through practically every single answer is relationships. Relationships. Each partner talked at least at one point about how they enjoyed developing people. They all also referred to business development or at least maintaining client relationships at some point as well. And even when you think about moving up to partner, many of them talked about the value of a mentor and open communication with your upper management during that time. And when you boil all of that down to just one aspect, it's relationships. I think it's really interesting and really intriguing that success and a field like accounting, something that many people in society see as unemotional, very black and white, very structured, very predictable, very technical, maybe even a little cold by some individuals in society. I think it's very interesting that it can come down to something as emotional and as variable and touchy-feely like relationships. And I think that's the lesson in this episode, although there are many. That's definitely one of the lessons in this episode is that it's something we probably all should ponder in our own careers, you know, regardless of whether or not you want to be a partner. Relationships truly are extremely important in our field. That was definitely very insightful. 
Well, this has been another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this one. It takes quite a bit of effort to put on these conglomerate shows and piece them together, much more than the typical single guest show. But I feel it's really worth it because we get so much insight from all the guests. Plus, it's just interesting to hear both the differences and responses as well as the similarities. I know I always learned something, and I hope you did as well. If you did enjoy this show, please check out some of our other episodes also, our training classes, our books, everything we've got out there online. We have a lot of resources out there to help you in furthering your own career. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you personally, please reach out to me. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. Well, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast, and we'll see you all next week. There's more to come.